Welcome to BSD Talk number 208. It's Thursday, November 24, 2011. It's Thanksgiving here in the United States of America, and I wanted to just put out a quick podcast while I'm here uh, with family and food is cooking in the oven. And it has been quite a while since I've put something out there, and I really feel that I needed to get some content out there. I have been pretty busy at work and with some graduate studies and teaching and all kinds of other things, so I, I apologize for not having much content out there. Uh, chasing people down for interviews takes a lot of work, and I've just been devoted to a lot of other things. But one topic that I thought people might be interested in is teaching Unix using the BSDs. And one of my many hats that I wear is as an adjunct faculty at the University of Maine in Augusta. And I've been teaching since, I think, 2009 a course on the basics of Unix. And it's traditionally been taught um, using Linux. I guess the history of that course is Way back then, um, the computer information systems department was looking at installing some Linux machines for the use by the department, and I was working with an ISP at the time. And they contacted the ISP to see whether anybody um, was interested or knew anything about Linux that might help them with some of the setup. And so I, being the Linux person at that ISP, did go in and help them. And at that time, they said, gee, you know, while you've been setting this up for us, you've been pretty good at explaining it to us. How do you feel about explaining it to students? And that's sort of where that Unix course started. I'd always taught the Unix course as a very generic and general uh, Unix course, not Linux-specific. It was really all at the command line, which I think was a bit of a shock to some of the students that that there wasn't anything gooey about it. Um, But, you know, if I even have a book, an old uh, AT&T System 5 or System V. I I never know how you pronounce it. But anyway, um, an old book about learning that system. And really, if you took the table of contents uh, for that old book from the 70s, just about all of it still applies today. Uh, I've been teaching using the Practical Guide to Linux book um, by uh, Sobel. And, you know, it's been a a great book for a long time. And really, you know, it covered sort of logging in and the basics of changing directories, the basic command line utilities with the shell, um, permissions, making files. It's done you know, a little bit of the system administration side, um, such as setting up the Apache web server and a few other things, mostly so that the kids felt, I really can't call them kids either because a lot of these people are older than I am taking the courses. Um, but you know, try to give them something practical besides just the basics of creating files and using the VI text editor and things like that. But um, the other thing that I always did in that course was um, rotate between a variety of operating systems, although for many, many years it was primarily based on Linux, and occasionally we would try something on BSD, maybe Solaris, maybe Darwin. Uh, I also used to bring in some Silicon Graphics IRIX workstations. Um, that was usually near the end in order to show them that uh, most of their skills are applicable. Basically, if they know how to use MAN, they can figure most things out, although it was a little more frustrating in the Linux world because they'd jump between man and info and, and those kinds of things. But in recent times, recent years here, uh, the department has been looking to decrease the cost of books and other materials for the courses. And so the department had asked whether I was interested in trying to find um, 
an online resource that was free and didn't require that the students purchase such expensive books. So I figured, hey, why not? I'm game. Um, I found a Linux command line book online, which was a free resource. But switching to a new book also meant switching pretty much the entire format of my course, uh, reworking it. And I had been fairly, I guess, lazy for a while um, because I had been teaching the course using virtual machines. And so I was pretty much guaranteed to have systems that hadn't changed in a long time. Um, And that actually led to some frustration um, when I finally got around to updating my Linux virtual machines. And once again, you know, how much do you fault Linux and how much do you fault me? Hard to say. But either way, um, things had changed a lot (laughs) in the Linux world. Um, I mean, just, you know, the init system going from your traditional init to upstart and then systemd, um, how they updated their packages, you know, it was... I can't even remember. It was like up to date on in the Red Hat world and then Pop and Yum. Uh, I guess Debian had remained fairly stable uh, with their app get stuff. Uh, but uh, Synaptic, I think there's some other things coming out. Um, but overall, things had, had changed a fair amount. Um, and so I thought this past year would be an interesting time to change the focus of the emphasis of the course and teach it primarily on the BSDs and then switch out to um, Linux and the other ones every once in a while. You know, the switch out, the biggest part was at the end of the class, um, the end of the semester, I should say, where I would break the class up into various groups, maybe three or four students per group, and provide them a variety of tasks, such as creating users or setting up this and that. Um, and I would throw them on some unfamiliar Unix that we hadn't gone to. Uh, that was like that was why I would bring in the IRIX workstations. Um but, you know, spend most of the time teaching it on the BSDs because really for the basics of setting file permissions and creating directories and text editors and stuff like that, honestly, it doesn't make a difference. And in fact, the majority of the examples that we had in the Linux command line book work just fine on the BSDs. The BSD that I went with and that I have been going with quite often for the virtual machine was OpenBSD. Uh, it's just really small, really compact. Um, so I figured I'd talk a little bit about I guess some of my students' reactions to using OpenBSD as their primary uh, learning platform. Um, The size of the install is quite important. Um, I was asking the students every class to always download the virtual machine image again. Basically, there's a a file server at the university, and there's a folder um, for the professors where the students can go and access materials for that course. So I was asking them at the beginning of each class to um, download a fresh copy of that virtual machine you know, there were some students that were bringing in thumb drives and putting the virtual machine on the thumb drive and, and then running using VirtualBox to run it. But, you know, the problem is as you go throughout the semester, that student's virtual machine image can vary as they make changes and do all kinds of weird things to it so that it, it's really frustrating. So for me, it was important that they get the fresh virtual machine image every time we start. That That way I know that they've got sort of a known good image that's, you know, starting from a common reference point for all the students. Um, and so the size of that image, you know, being that the full install was, was fairly small and, you know, it gave you even, you know, with that full open B, open BSD install, um, you know, you got the basic Unix user land, you've got a very straightforward X window environment. Uh, and actually the minimalistic nature of that has been very helpful for illustrating some of what makes that system different from other windowing system. You get a full compiler stack, everything else. Um, the installer is actually dead easy these days too. So, um, it makes it pretty simple. Um, 
so that that first of all was a big thing because when we'd go and download um let's say a debian image or a fedora image they were just gargantuan and when you've got 30 students all hitting that file server at the same time it, it wasted a fair amount of time at the beginning of class they also could have a you know keep it on their thumb drives but they're always messing with it um once logging in um actually the students were pretty I guess surprised or happy that uh, OpenBSD let them know, hey, you've got an email from Charlie Root. And that was sort of a nice, friendly thing. And that initial email that uh, is provided in OpenBSD after the install does a pretty good job of letting them know what they should do when they first log in, um, looking at the afterboot man pages and a few other things. Uh, and that really sort of led them down that, that basic path. Another nice thing that, uh, that they liked was that help typing the word help actually gave you what I consider to be a reasonably nice introduction to uh, Unix or OpenBSD tutorial and walks them through some basic stuff. So that, that overall seemed uh, reasonably friendly. Um, in general, you know, with the BSDs, I think not having to deal with uh, the whole init script system was a little bit easier for them to grasp. And needless to say, because it hadn't changed in a long time, I was able to help them. And we'd switch over to the Linux images, and I just felt out of date really quickly. Once again, my fault for not updating my skills there. But still, um, the amount of change on the Linux side was a bit frustrating. Uh, the networking, too. Oh, talk about dead simple. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to enable a network interface on one of the modern Linux distributions, but uh, a little complicated. And still on OpenBSD, being able to figure out the name of your interface and just putting four letters into the config file, the hostname.if file, uh, you just say put DHCP in there and it works. Um, the other thing that was a bit weird, and I'm not quite sure what was causing this on the Linux side and the way that it was interacting um, with the virtual machine software, but um, it was renaming the Ethernet interfaces differently. Um, basically, when I set up the virtual machine, you know, I set up ETH0 on the Linux side um, to take up DHCP, and the students would all run the virtual machines in the class. Now, understand, we're on a lab that was imaged, so all the Windows XP machines should have been the same, and they were running VirtualBox, and they'd install their image. But for some reason, the, the sort of dynamic nature of um, detecting and allocating devices in Linux was causing some students to have their Ethernet card not be ETH0. And that meant that their network interface card didn't have a configuration set for it. And so it would be inconsistent in the class as to whether or not the student's networking was working. Um, and going ahead and trying to get one running for them was difficult from a config file standpoint. So really, we'd just run the DHCP client manually against it you know, while they were just running it in the class. So um, there was something about the uh, very stable nature of OpenBSD. Um, when it comes to the configuration that made it a bit more simple uh, for me to work with. Now, I understand on the Linux side that that whole dynamic way of doing things is probably based on, um, you know, the modern world of USB devices. I, I think the traditional Unix model of, you know, this is a server that runs for a year straight and you don't start plugging things into it and um, it's not changing a lot from a hardware perspective while it's running. Um, you know, maybe that model is, is more pervasive in the OpenBSD world and in the Linux world, they're trying to make it appropriate for laptops where, you know, you're putting it to sleep and waking it up and plugging USB keyboards into it and various other kinds of things. And maybe all this is supposed to lead to some magical system that just works. But at least in the way I was trying to use it, it was a bit weird and, and frustrating. Um, 
talking about the way that the X window system was set up on OpenBSD, it was really nice that they just used tiny window manager TWM. Uh, it just is a very bare bones system and it's got uh, a menu where it allows you to launch um, a dummy window manager or basically a non-existent window manager. And from there, you sort of get your X term window with no borders and nothing like that. Uh, and so it makes it really easy to illustrate the differences between sort of the palette that the applications draw on, what the window manager is, and even manual window management and swapping them in and out. Um, and even, you know, well, the network nature of the X window system, I don't think particularly relies on the minimalistic nature of, of their window manager, but in general, having a very bare bones window manager was a nice thing. Um, you know, you didn't have this whole GNOME or KDE desktop environment, you know, that sort of tried to emulate maybe a windows or Mac experience, but it really, you know, uh, brought it down to the bare, the bare minimums. Um, other than that, um, you know, I, I didn't, over the course of the, the semester where I was teaching primarily on BSD, uh, notice any major complaints from the students. Um, I don't think that, you know, any of their skills aren't going to apply in the future. In fact, we even went into, let's say, configuring um, the Apache web server for a virtual host. Uh, we went online and looked up the documentation and, you know, at least, you know, perhaps they were a bit disappointed when they saw this, but you know, how Apache is set up in the location of the configuration files on Solaris is going to be different from Red Hat, which is going to be different from FreeBSD. You know, so I think um, I always approached it from the standpoint that they needed to be flexible. And uh, so I don't think it particularly mattered. As long as they know, you know, how to look things up and they understand that things are different and they understand the basics of, you know, piping utilities together and reading the man pages and, you know, SED and awk and some of those other fundamental principles it really doesn't matter. So the BSDs were perfectly fine for teaching. Um, I guess at this point, I either have to uh, write my own uh, teaching Unix with BSD book um, or try and find some resources out there. Um, you know, for me, from a teaching perspective, having something that doesn't change significantly over time uh, definitely helps me if I want to be lazy and not constantly update my course. But, you know, these fundamentals haven't changed. At least the fundamental Unix stuff that I'm trying to teach hasn't changed in 30 years anyway, uh, and it still applies today. And so it's nice to have a system where um, the system isn't changing out from underneath you to the point where it's difficult to even get the teaching done. So um, anyway, that's uh, a really sort of stream of consciousness view of, of teaching Unix on the BSDs. And uh, yeah, I guess... Uh, I'll be teaching, I think, again this summer, the same one, and, and hopefully I can start developing more resources that are BSD-specific. So have a happy Thanksgiving, all of you, at least for those of you who are celebrating it here in the United States, and uh, I look forward to getting some more content up with interviews in the near future. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com, and if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com, that's B-I-T, G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 208. Is this thing on? Testing, one, two, three. Ice, ice, icicle. Pop, pop, popsicle. Test, test, testing, one, two, three.